you're listening to a new episode of Flux Pod. My name is Matthew Perpetua. This episode features Alana Kaplan, who is a person who writes for just a wide range of publications, and we'll get into that. Alana does a lot of uh, artist profiles and celebrity profiles, and that's going to be the, the, the main focus of this conversation, her experience with that and how that's been different in the year 2020, a year which, you know, I think kind of looks like a, a big breakthrough for Alana. So um, just a reminder that this show comes out twice a week and the episodes that come out on Saturday are for Patreon subscribers only. You want to hear all the episodes, you want to hear it uh, patreon.com slash fluxblog. $5 a month gets you four to five extra episodes depending on how many weeks are in a month uh anyway uh on to the show this is alana kaplan alana uh can you tell the listeners who you are and what you do hi i'm alana kaplan i am a writer and editor i live in brooklyn and um i mainly cover music and pop culture and um, like celebrity content. Um, I've written for uh, NPR, the New York Times, Rolling Stone, Billboard, um, and LA Times. Um, Yeah. Among among many others. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) You've been very, very busy this year. And yeah, and you and you do like a, a a good amount of like celebrity profiles. Yeah, I mean, I love, I j- I don't know, I love talking to people. That's probably my favorite thing to do. So, and I'm just so fascinated by celebrity culture. And I don't, I never thought I would veer away from music, um, but then I guess like when I went freelance in my mid twenties, I just kind of was burning out on music, and I was like, I. I've always had a weird talent for knowing every celebrity in every movie, like whether they're A-list or Z-list. And I was like, why am I not doing anything around celebrities? I'm obsessed with them. (laughs) So I'm I'm just going to give a list of celebrities that you have profiled in the year 2020. Uh, Halsey, Jewel, Paris Hilton, Alicia Silverstone, uh, Haim, you know, that was a cover story for Spin. Kylie Minogue, B.B. Bridgers, Lenny Kravitz, Kim Cattrall, Haley Williams, Jessica Simpson, The Weeknd, Mandy Moore. <laughs> Those are, so like a lot of like uh, big names, big names. It's weird to like see that. It, it's hard to like quantify what you're doing or like feel it, it's weird. I'm very imposter. I have imposter syndrome a lot and it's weird to hear all that in one <laughs> yeah, but you did that. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah, and these these are all for like the the big names because I mean also like publications you did not mention were like Vogue, L. Uh, I think you mentioned the New York Times, uh, Ringer. You did a thing, big thing for the Ringer, you know. So it's like you, you are you are doing really well. This is a this is a very impressive year as a freelance writer, I think by any standard. Um, what I was thinking about was. Um, you were doing a lot of these celebrity profiles in the weirdest year ever to do celebrity profiles. So how many of these people did you actually meet IRL? Um, so Jessica Simpson was the last 
celebrity profile it did in real life. I went to LA in last February and went to her house. And I would say that was a good one to go out on just because it was like very colorful, like time. Um, but most of them I had to do on zoom, um, or by phone, mostly zoom though. Um, and I, I, I think that like some people, yes, I think you can get different things out of people in person, but at the same time, I do feel like on zoom, there's a way to like, if you need to get a lot in, there's, it, it's made it a little bit more efficient because you both know, like you have a set amount of time and like you need to get into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a weird transition, like to write like longer profiles and make them interesting, especially when you're like, oh, great. I'm like just sitting on Zoom, like at my home <laughs> I've been at for like 10 months. <laughs> How do you try to find like the color that you'd want for a profile when you're on Zoom? Do you ask them to kind of like show you around at all, or you know, what what have you done to kind of fill in those gaps? Um, sometimes I kind of ask them just about like like what they've been up to in the past like couple of days, um, like if they've been traveling or not. Like I don't know, some celebrities you never know. Um, I, I kind of try to set the scene with whatever I can really. Sometimes it's like grasping at straws. Cause you're like, I, there's not really a, a, a ton different to go off of. Um, or I have to set it up with what they've been working on lately. Like, um, so in that way, it's a little bit harder. And I mean, I, I everybody got tired of the, like this celebrity is eating a sandwich at while we're at like, <laughs> at, I don't know, restaurant. Um, but I feel like we're all kind of missing that. <laughs> when you're doing like these kind of Zooms with like, you know, some of these people are very, very famous people. Um, do they, are they in like a room where you can kind of just like riff off what's in the room or are they kind of like trying to like hide their surroundings as much as they can? Um, Sometimes like with Paris Hilton, it was, a little bit more fun because she was like in, I guess her bedroom, which is like totally just a glam space. And there was just you like, would hope so. Yeah, exactly. It like made things a little more fun. Um, there was like a huge, like backlit mirror behind her, like as if she were in like, like preparing to go on TV. Um, but most, a lot of the times it's just like people sitting at a desk. Like, so there's only, they're like sitting in an office in their home or like just, um, sitting in like a library of sorts. Like it's so, it, it's a little harder to, to make it interesting now. Does it feel still a little more rich than a phoner would be? I, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I try to ask for a Zoom whenever I can if it's going to be something a little bit longer because it like on, on a phoner, you just you don't really have a ton to go off of um, other than what they're telling you. Like you don't have you're not looking at anything. You can't like pick up on um, their movements um, or gesturing. Um, I just did one the other day that like I haven't written yet. Um, 
with Leslie Jordan, which I'm like really excited about because he's just so funny. And like that would have been one where I feel like a phoner wouldn't have done him justice because he's just become such like an Instagram star during uh, the pandemic. And he's just always like dancing or like, just like he's very animated. So like, it, it just wouldn't have been the same. Does it feel like a little like less intimidating sometimes to do it this way? Yeah, I think so. Like, I also think like, we're all kind of on the same like level of maybe we've given up on like style. <laughs> so like, like, <laughs> I don't feel like I mean, sometimes I'll like do my makeup for zooms. But like, sometimes I'm just like, I, this is just how it is. I'm wearing a sweatshirt and my hair is in a messy bun. And like, this is just how it's happening today. Yeah. And you're a writer, you know? Yeah. People have low expectations. I think of writers. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. So, uh, what were some of your earliest experiences of doing these sort of like big profiles or, or interviews? Um, so I started, uh, freelancing when I was in college. Um, and it really happened because of my internships. I interned at Nylon where I got like my first byline and then I interned at Interview Magazine. And um, I kind of just felt like I always loved interviews and that was kind of the perfect place to do it. Um, and I just ended up interviewing celebrities or musicians um, for the first like two years of my career. I just like interviewed people there while I worked a day job in marketing, um, and social media. So yeah, I mean, that was kind of my basis for doing that. I would say when I started to do more like celebrity stuff was when I went freelance full time for the first time in my mid twenties. And I was, um, a contributing editor at paper magazine. So I kind of had the freedom to to tap more into like celebrity profiles and interviews as opposed to just music. So who were like some of the early ones or people that you were at the end at the time that you were like, especially excited to talk to? Um, I just, I have to look up who I talked to. Um, Spencer Pratt was one. Um, That was one of my earlier ones and that was super fun. And we like um, have stayed in touch since, um, oh, no kidding. Yeah. When I was in LA. Your close personal friend, Spencer Pratt. <laughs> it's funny, like when I was in LA a, a couple years ago, like me and my partner like met up with him at the Beverly Hills Hotel and like just like got like lunch and talked and he's like really into design and my partner's a designer. So they like got on really well. Um, but yeah, he's, he's pretty great. Um, and uh, I'll stay talking. I think Billie Eilish really early on. That was, I mean, she's a musician still, but um, I, I'm trying. What, what was she like uh, when she was kind of just starting out? Did, did she seem obviously like she was going to be like a huge star? No, I mean, like the the, the thing about her is like that I, she was just very confident in her vision, and it was. I guess at the time I was like, wow, she like, she's, she's young. She's like 14. She like knows what she wants. She knows she wants to like, she knows exactly who her style inspiration is. She knows exactly who she wants to collaborate with. She like 
and she's basically stayed the same in a lot of ways since, which is really incredible um, to just see her stick by her, what she likes and believes in and, and have that be respected. Um, I mean, she was very much a no bullshit kind of person and she stayed like that. Um, I, I think I was surprised at like, well, I was told she was going to be like the next Lord. And, you know, sometimes you kind of are like, okay, like, let me nod my head about that. And I don't know if that's true, but like, they were right. Like, I think she's surpassed Lord at this point. Um, and yeah, certainly in terms of like, uh, kind of mainstream popularity anyway. Yeah. Like I remember seeing her perform for the first time she played at Mercury lounge in New York and she had fans, crazy fans, like lined up all around the block. And it was just like wild to me. Cause I like, didn't, I didn't really like get it so much. And I think it's maybe because I was a little bit older, but like, yeah, just like thinking back to that, it's just wild. Yeah. It seems like she, like she definitely got lucky. You're kind of saying that, you know, no one's really gotten in the way of her. And I think that's because she has been so successful, like an outsized level of success, like on her terms all along. And it's like, you'd have to be a fool to get in her way. Like just like, you know, I think, you know, maybe if she started failing like a label, I could see intervening, but like as she's been, it's like her instincts are clearly better than anyone else's. I always get upset when I see like, I don't know. So like paparazzi, like shoot her and she's like not wearing baggy clothes and they make a big deal out of it. It's like, Oh yeah. That, her... that was a big thing earlier in the year. Yeah. And it's like, let her live. Like also like just, she can wear whatever she wants. Like leave her alone. <laughs> so were you, did you grow up as a big magazine person? Yeah, I mean, I was, I always wanted to, well, every time I come to New York, when I was a kid, I grew up in New Jersey, I would make it a thing to stop at like the Hudson News at Penn Station, um, near the New Jersey Transit and pick up Spin and Rolling Stone and Nylon. Um, And those were like the three magazines I'd pick up. I loved Spin. I always dreamed of working there. Um, and I loved Rolling Stone. I also always dreamed of working there. Um, spin was actually my first internship. I, I would intern there for like over a year, a year and a half, maybe like, I just loved it so much. I just kind of asked to stay. Um, and that was really cool experience. And I, I'm still friends with like people I met there. Um, and it was funny because I like worked and I, I, I worked in the fashion department, marketing department. Um, and I was so, and, and I guess, I, I guess I was pretty shameless in my, um, my, uh, cover letter. I like, so I've talked about this with Rob too, but like Rob Sheffield's really the reason why I wanted to be a music journalist. And I think a lot of people can say that, but, um, I wrote this like long, long, letter to spin about why I wanted to intern there and talked about the book and how it, the book, um, loves the mixtape and how it made me want to be a music journalist. And the, um, hiring manager was like her favorite book too. And she like told Rob about it. And, um, so I kind of, it's funny, like, he's like a set, like, I, I'm always like, he's responsible for like, me getting my first internship and like me wanting to be a music journalist in like so many little moments in my career. Um, 
it's it's amazing how many people can say that about Rob as being a singularly inspiring figure. And like, I feel like I can say that and coming from like, like years before, you know, like, yeah. I mean, I think my first like real exposure to Rob was in that spin alternative record guide that came out in 1995. And he wrote, I think about like 60% of that book. I mean, there's a lot of writers, but he wrote the lion's share of it. Yeah. And as did his, uh, his first wife, Renee, she wrote with some entries in there. I, I think I need to reread the book. I haven't read the reread the book in a long time, and I feel like I'm way overdue for a reread. Um, but the first time I, I when I was working at the Observer, I like knew Rob had a book coming out, and I was like, I want to interview him, and he asked me to get lunch, and it was like literally, I've never been more like nervous and excited to meet anybody, and I like was telling him like we we sat and we talked for like two hours and. Then I was telling him like how influential he's been in my career and I'm just started like crying and I was like, this is so embarrassing, but like, it's just, it's crazy. Like I've never, like, I honestly, like he like kind of, he changed my life in an indirect way so many times. What did, what do you feel like you were responding to the first time you read that book? Like what about the writing? I think it was just how the parallels of how I always soundtrack music to the most important moments of my life or the most insignificant ones too, that became significant later. Um, it, it, that's what kind of grasped me. Um, just also like the heart, just so much heart that, that songs had for him. Um, and I just, I don't know. I just connected with that and it like, it has stayed with me ever since. There's an incredible generosity to how he writes, but also who he is, who he is as a person. Yeah. And I've had other people, cause I mean, I've known, I've known Rob a long time now, I guess probably 15 something years. Yeah. Um, but I've known, I've known people who like knew his writing, but hadn't met him before. And when they met him, they're like, uh, there's one friend in particular and she was like i thought it was always just like a bit it was like a shtick he was doing but like no he really is that guy yeah he really is that guy he writes exactly as he speaks yeah. and yeah yeah that's what i love about him i just anytime like when it's like rob sheffield's review of especially taylor swift albums i'm like instant click yeah. <laughs> I feel like he's made himself so relevant to this whole, like the generation younger than either of us, uh, like like literal teens still, just by being like so engaged with things like Taylor Swift and Harry Styles, among other things. Like he's always open. He never loses interest in like what is happening in culture and, and not in this kind of, I feel like there's people who like, try to do it in this sort of way where it's it's very clear like they're trying to stay relevant but with rob it's just like no he, this is like he truly cares about the stuff he's not faking it he truly truly loves harry styles i think that's what's so amazing is just like his, his pure like fandom for for artists like harry and taylor as well as balanced criticism um I think the fact that he's he's started out and he's always been a fan and maintained that is just so wonderful to see. And like, I love that because I, I always felt like a fan first and that's, it's just so 
pure. There's just something pure about yeah. it. Yeah. I think that there can be hangups that people will have where it's like, well, I can't be a fan and a critic. Well, of course you can, you know, but I, I think there's that, that, uh, that that's a common insecurity. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of young women writers have this where like, because they're already concerned about people like not taking them as seriously. So anything like that, that would be like an easy way of attacking you. You have to kind of like downplay it, but you shouldn't at all. I think Rob really shows that you really don't have to like shut that down. I agree with that. And I definitely think like there can be a judgment uh, from other people about, um, how much of a fan you are and, and how that affects your reporting. Um, but I don't know, like, and maybe, maybe it's, I didn't go to like J school. And I mean, I, I went to undergrad like journalism school, but like, and I'm pretty ethical person, but I do, I, I'm not going to deny that like fandom is the thing that got me into doing music journalism. It doesn't make sense that I wouldn't be a fan. Um, I guess if that makes sense, like I, well, it seems like a lot, a lot of the stories you're doing, you're doing because you, you, you're pitching a stuff because you care. Yeah. And it's, it's not, it's, I have an interest in the subject. It doesn't mean that that subject is going to like meet my expectations that I had for them or that I'm going to be fawning over them the whole time. At or at all. Um, And I think that's just an interesting thing to think about. It's like, you can't, you can be a fan and you can be a critic. Um, I think that there are things that make it harder, like dealing with PR firms, (laughs) like trying not to get like blacklisted by them. Like (laughs) that's just that unfortunately is a part of it now, especially if you work for yourself. Have you ever been blacklisted by someone you loved? Um, or no comment. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure I was blacklisted by one music PR person because they didn't like something I wrote. And then I could like, they, they made another interview. They got in the way of another interview and, like squashed squashed it um and I lost an assignment and then I did a story actually earlier this year and I had to like contextualize this person's like history which is controversial and it was in the piece and my editor stood by me and stuff but like this PR person was like harassing me not like berating me and like by email on the phone and this was like peak pandemic it was like really like I can't even believe you're like screaming at me right now for no reason when I've been like 100% professional um but yeah they just got in the way and uh removed me from an assignment (laughs) my one example of this or at least that can I recall anyway um so I was at Rolling Stone for about a year and a half. And in that time, uh, I can't remember which Smashing Pumpkins record was supposed to come out, but uh, they were doing a thing for a while where they were having like uh, alongside like new releases, they would have like a brief interview with the artist. And, 
I was assigned to do uh, this, you know, a, a fairly brief boner with Billy Corgan. But uh, I think once they found out that I was going to be doing it, like the PR was like, no, no, absolutely not. Because a year or so prior, I wrote a negative track review of a pumpkin song. And it just like so infuriated Corgan. It's like, and it's so funny because like, I don't like I would have been so kind to Billy Corgan. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I love this match. This match opened so much, and I just did not like that one song. You know, it was also during like the this little stretch of their career where they're kind of really at his worst. It's kind of like the, the he has a few years there which are very very rough. Um, but you know, it's it's but yeah, it's just the. I mean, it's a fun story to say, especially because it's Billy Corgan, and you know, you kind of expect him to have like a, a huge huge blacklist. Um, but yeah, I, I think that if, if only they had understood how completely generous I would have been to that guy. I know I, it like, it, it sucks. It's, it definitely like, I'm just a sensitive person too. And it definitely makes me feel like, oh my God, like I am like ruined. Like what it, like, I don't know how to fix this. And the thing is like, I, I, like I, at the end of the day, like the writer ultimately gets the blame like and that sucks the blame like I I stand by what I wrote like it wasn't mean their client said whatever they wanted and that I I ultimately think they like the client either fired them or um or like just is off cycle with them now um but I don't know I I I just like don't do well with that stuff sometimes (laughs) yeah well, I mean, it's, you know, it's actual human interactions, you know, it's not, you know, so it's, it's hard. I think on both sides, I mean, I totally understand being <laughs> an artist who's like, I will not talk to someone if I think they're going to like, you know, be mean to me or, or, or I don't trust that they will like portray me in a positive light. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I mean, I think that the one thing I'll say is like, if you work, it's easier if you have the backing of like a name brand publication and you're on staff there it's way easier to navigate that stuff than being a freelancer yeah also i want to say about that rolling stone thing it was like rolling stone uh, my editor there uh, for that was christian horde and christian was like nope well we're not doing it at all now sorry there will be no replacement <laughs> interviewer i yeah like, you don't get to dictate that so you either like agree to doing it or not and i really appreciate like uh, them doing that and that's you know a very professional way of doing it i yeah i think that is the way to go about that um and i think that's great if a publication can do that and stand by you and yeah. So of the people that you talked to this year, like who did you f- just feel like the most connection to the, the, the most delight in speaking to? I'm, I'm, I'm a huge Halsey fan in general, but um, for a lot of reasons, I, I covered her career since the release of her debut EP. I've interviewed her every cycle. Um, and I just, she's actually from the same hometown as me. Um, and I've just really seen her career flourish and it's just so fun talking to her and like looking back and then also just talking to her about like <laughs> New Jersey and like our, where we grew up. And, um, it, it was fun to have that conversation this year, especially when like neither of us are 
going to New Jersey, really. <laughs> I want to start this out and say, I got to get it off my chest. Got no anger, got no malice, just a little bit of regret. No, nobody else will tell you. Does she remember you? Does like ever like the, the, yeah. of having talked to her a few times? She does. That's always um, nice. Which is nice. We so the first time I ever interviewed her, I met up with her at an Aban Pan in uh, Times Square. Um so we hung out in person the first time. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it was just, it was fun to talk to her about just like how like crazy her career has become, how she's like, she's, she was on like the front lines of the black lives matter protests. She's also, she made this incredible album that was kind of like a reset for her career this year. Um, and she, like she kind of went a little more rock, I guess. Yeah, I also think like she finally got respect from critics that had never really like respected her previous work, and I I I personally liked her all of her work, um, but this album was much more intensely personal. It wasn't concept album, um, and. Yeah, I mean, it, it's also interesting because she's moving more into like the acting space. There's just a lot to talk about, and it was really fun to catch up and also like just talk about home and like because I haven't really I've like socially distanced stood outside my parents' house won't like once this year, but like I'm I don't know. There's something about like talking about home that's that was really comforting um, and something we could both like connect on. Um, also like Jessica Simpson interview was really fun. Like I, she seems so warm. She's so warm. And like, she, she is just really funny and like a no bullshit person. Like you also wouldn't, you would be like, she's like, she's a celebrity. Like you just wouldn't get that. Like I, they were like running behind on stuff. So I like spent time in our studio that like, her house was actually Ozzy Osbourne's house before, and it used to have urinals all around the house. Um, so, like, <laughs> her, like, um, her producing an A&R person, I don't know if it's her A&R person anymore, but her her producer and, like, um, manager just, like, like hung out with me in, in the studio. And then, like, I didn't realize, like, her her – I guess like her best friend, if you watched like uh, Newlyweds, Casey Cobb, um, is like talking about her husband and her kids, and then she's like, "Oh, like her husband walks in, and she's like, oh, this is my husband," and then I look up and it's Donald Faison. <laughs> like, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, where am I? Like, that's the thing. There are just people coming in and out all the time in her house. Like she was just saying, and um, like 
it was just a very like fun situation where like the gate they were like yeah like a urinal used to be in here or like and then I like was in her library her like crazy library for most of the time and then her like husband came in and he's like very like he just released like a meditation album and he's just like this former football player who's like really like hippy dippy and it was just like a very fun colorful experience um yeah (laughs) i hope you could have more of those yeah me too (laughs) yeah i think you also got to um be in person with Phoebe Bridgers, but I guess that was a little bit before that as well. Yeah. Um, so Phoebe, I was, it was supposed to be kind of like an encounters for Vulture, but it ended up just becoming a longer interview because of like how much we covered. Um, so I, there's like a haunted house in, in the Lower East Side, a haunted museum. Um, and she loves haunted stuff. So I kind of did some research and found it and, um, it was just really like, it was a really weird, like kind of fun experience. But at the same time, we covered a lot of stuff. And um, I, I mean, she was really open about everything. I like kind of covered every topic. And like, I knew some of the stuff was more delicate. um, But she was so forthcoming. And um, we had like an interesting talk about like pets and like I had put my cat down a couple days before and I had like started crying during the interview, which had like never actually no, that happened to me twice this year and that's never happened any other time. Um, and I, I'm, I feel like crying with Phoebe Bridgers feels like she's probably <laughs> fairly used to that. Yeah. I get the sense that she might be used to I that. know. I, I was just like, I was like not in a great headspace because I, I had just done that and she was just so nice. And we just had to talk about her dog and like losing her dog. And um, I don't know, it was just like a very meaningful like moment for me because it was, it was just like hard and she just made the interview pretty easy. This must be a very interesting experience that she's having kind of becoming like a lot more famous than she was, but during under these very odd circumstances. I feel like she wrote like what a, what an odd year. She like wrote the album to soundtrack this year. I I've always so I I started out I am both a fan of Julian Baker and Phoebe Bridgers. I am not comparing them. They're different. But I did see I, I saw Julian a bunch of times and I saw Julian at the Bowery ballroom, but I was waiting downstairs um, during the opening act. I was just like getting a drink and all of a sudden I heard this voice and I was like, Oh my God. Cause you can hear like the opening act downstairs and it was Phoebe's. I was like, I need to know who this is. Like I instantly teared up. I like ran upstairs and I was just like, the second I heard her voice, I was like, she's going to, like, she's going to be famous. Like, there's something about her voice that just, like, hit. And then after that, I just, every song that she had out there, I consumed. And it was at the time where, like, I think Killer was, like, she only had, like, um, I think a seven inch and, like, maybe, a, like, a couple singles out. And it was, like, all I listened to for days. Um and that was back in like 2016 or 2017. Um, I, I think like maybe, yeah, it was definitely 2016. Um, 
but it's so crazy. Like, I mean, this year I feel like she just wrote, she wrote songs that people could really relate to during this time. And in a and like this time is so weird that it, her songs were like quite on the nose without even like, like what's a good example of that? Like what, what particular song like resonates to you in that way? Halloween. Um, I think it's Halloween. Oh yeah. I hate living by the hospital. The sirens go all night. I was like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that is, did you write that like during the during the pandemic? I, I very I very literally relate to that. I live right by one of the hardest hit COVID hospitals in the city. Oh, yeah, I uh, I mean, and she was like, "No, like I didn't write that like while this was happening." But it's there's just so many little things that um, just seem very on the nose for this year. I mean, I know the end is like one of my favorite songs of the year. Like, I just think it's a great song. It's also super apocalyptic and there's just like, it's kind of this like weird swan song for like the end of the world. And I don't know, it's, it's just hit a lot differently this year. Somewhere in Germany, but I can't place it. Man, I hate this part. Texas, close my eyes, fantasize, three clicks and I'm home, when I get back I'll lay around, then I'll get up and lay back down, romanticize a quiet life, there's no place like my room, but you had to go. Sometimes I'm like, when artists, it's almost like, and this, I don't know if this is necessarily true or not, but like, I often think like maybe they're, I'm like, are they prophets? Like, or did they just see that the world was going to, was just not sustainable as it was and saw something maybe yeah. a lot of other people didn't? Like kind of going back to Rob Sheffield, but I think 
probably the thing that I think I learned the most from Rob, uh, sort of by osmosis, but, um, this kind of approaching artists is people who know things, mm-hmm. you know, he, no matter which artist he's dealing with, whether they're like clearly like geniuses or people who are kind of like idiot savants, like he kind of goes to any work of art with like, well, what wisdom are they trying to impart here? Yes. You know? And, and I think that's so different from how a lot of people write about art, because I think a lot of people write about art in this way that really disrespects artists and assumes yes. they're all idiots. I, but almost like, like being that generous where you're almost like going to them like art, like I think they're all prophets. Let's figure out what they're trying I to tell me. The, what I admire about the way that he approaches things. And that's how I kind of try to approach things. I, I do think that like some people, are just assuming like, Oh, like X artists put this out. Like their other work was really cheesy and missed the mark. So like I'm immediately, I'm going to be harsh on them or, or critique them more harshly um, because of that, or just go in with this like preconceived notion and that's going to color the whole piece. And like, sure, maybe that will get you a hit piece if you're extra hard on them. But like, if you're not giving them a fair shake, then like, it's gonna reflect that. Yeah. And I think, you know, with like a person like Phoebe Bridgers, really like most any artist, I guess, but I think she's a really good example of someone who, well, you know, it's not like she knows something. It's just that she is kind of approaching the world in a very emotions mm-hmm. first way. And in, you know, making this art, she's giving the listener the permission to do the same. And I think it's, you know, it's also kind of saying that the when you kind of approach the world in this more intuitive way, this more emotional way, you can kind of see a truth that's there in front of you that might not be like empirically. I agree with that. I think that's a great way of putting it. Um, And I don't know. I, I almost, I also feel like I I was going to say like, uh, maybe because my thirties, like I just think that the way that, Gen Z and like young millennials see the world right now is just so interesting. Um, and they give me hope. And even no matter how nihilistic some of Phoebe's music can be, like it, there's always like a bit of hopefulness, even, even at the end of the world. <laughs> oh, so like the last big thing that you had come out, I guess uh, right now, maybe a few days ago was this thing about the the, kind of the 2020 like disco revival that was in the ringer. And I guess this kind of like uh, gets into, you know, a positive or at least kind of like a euphoric energy to kind of counteract a lot of the, the doomer vibes that have really been heavy in the past couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I think like that was just an overall trend that I think we all saw this year. Um, there were so many great like disco pop produced records or singles that came out. Um, and, and I don't think that all of them were necessarily written or inspired by the pandemic. I think that that was possibly happening anyway. I do think though that like in Dua Lipa's case, like she really, 
I mean, she kind of cultivated this whole future nostalgia aesthetic for the year that like, even though we couldn't be in the same room dancing together, we could still celebrate and still enjoy music and still find joy in, in being on a dance floor, even if that dance floor is your living room. Um, she kind of had a similar thing as Phoebe Bridgers where it's kind of like this big breakout year and they both have done like lots of like TV and all this kind of stuff, but like in this kind of like from their house. I think it's like, it's really crazy. Like I, I almost wonder if like the pandemic, if the pandemic wasn't happening and we didn't have all this time online or like to just like actually sit down and listen to records and be online they would have had the same celebrity status this year. I I hope so, but like I'm curious. I think Phoebe Bridgers, it was trending yeah, that way that. anyway. I think like I mean, this is something I was definitely kind of keying into before Punisher came out. I remember like I've done like those little games on Twitter where I'll have like uh, people like make little concert <laughs> bills. It's kind of a classic internet game, but I would. So part of that for me is like, I'm just always very curious to see what people engage with in those. And I kind of use it as a, to see like, okay, like what, what, what do people actually get excited about right now? Like what, where is the actual passion? And all the times I've done that, Phoebe Bridgers is always like super, the people's passion for her is so strong, like more than even made sense to me at the time. I think it makes more sense to me now but it's one of those things where it's like, oh, people like this is like, yeah, it's kind of like what you were saying where you heard and like, oh, this is a star. And I don't think I connect with her in the same way, but I absolutely see it. And and I think it's this perfect she has like she has an advantage over a lot of other similar artists in that she makes this very emotional music. But she's also just like a very charismatic and fun yeah, person. And I, I think what I've seen works the best is when somebody makes this like a lot of more melancholy music or um, music that's quite raw about and vulnerable about like their mental health. And then they're just really charismatic and funny. And like, they kind of offset that, like, especially at shows, like I know Julian Baker is definitely kind of like that too. If you've been to her shows Um, and I'm not saying like it, no artist is supposed to like, they're supposed to just do whatever they want to do in terms of their personality, like I'm not saying they're, they're meant to be clowns or anything. Um, but, but I do think it's, it, there's something that's a little bit more charming when they are like, they're like, I'm not doom and gloom all the time. Like, this is like, this is what I write, but I'm also like a happy person too. Right. Or, or like I'm self-aware enough to kind of make jokes about yeah. sad as well and have them and, and not in a way that makes it like it, it diminishes the actual yeah, emotion of the music. Totally. Um, and I, I mean, her music has really been a bomb for me this year. Like Punisher is something I listen to like almost every day. And I listen to Stranger in the Alps almost constantly <laughs> before that. So it's like, I'm like she's just incapable of making any bad music 
this is making me think there's kind of a, a quandary that a lot of artists have now where, especially in the pandemic year where having that kind of skill for presentation on social media makes so much difference, but it also feels cruel to ask a lot of artists to have to do that. Cause it's not like something that comes natural to them. So it does. I mean, obviously there's always going to be something that kind of people have a advantage over. So, you know, another time mm-hmm. it would have been MTV, right? So, you know, you're just a person who just really works on MTV and some people can be just as talented, but they just don't have the right look. They don't have, you know, whatever it is. And, but it does feel rough to kind of ask a lot of musicians, a lot of whom are extreme introverts to have to. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think like, for instance, like Phoebe Bridgers, um, like Twitter is totally her. Like, I just think she's just a funny person who's really in touch with like what's going on at the moment. And at this point, like she knows what her fans are going to cling to. I, I just think she's being herself. Um, I think for some, you, you can kind of tell like they, their labels like running their account. Um, I I don't know like what people are asked of these days. Um, and I, I think like some artists just don't really like, I think it's been a while since like Mitski's been on Twitter. Like I think she deleted it a while ago, but she was really like in touch like with her fans on Twitter and like what they kind of like connecting with them in the same way Phoebe has done. Yeah. This came up in a previous episode, like let Mitski, uh, like she, people started being really weird with her. And like, they're like, there's like some kind of like weird, I don't remember what my friend Molly was explaining. It was like something like, uh, people were like, uh, like, Talking about her parents oh, being yeah. in the CIA and like something about Mitski trafficking people and it's like 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 really over the top like Tumblr stuff. So yeah, I can understand why Mitski might want to like take a, a break, especially while she's not promoting anything. I mean, I definitely think that that's the thing. It's like that fine line of like like communicating with your fans, but also um not like not um I mean, it's so hard to avoid this, but like, um, not having such a like dedicated army of fans that like they'll they'll kind of go nuts and and go haywire on Twitter, like that that happens as you become more famous. Like you see it with like the Barb's, you see it with um, the Hotties, you see it with uh, like everybody, um, Miley's fans. It's it's almost a miracle when the fan art when the when the fan armies are like quite nice like the, like the Harry Potter <laughs> fan army like they're all the same. I know, I and that's the thing. Like a lot uh, of the times they are, but then did I say Harry, Harry Potter? Styles? I meant to say Harry Styles. I think I'm pretty sure. I think I said Harry Potter just now. Just want to clarify. I meant Harry Styles. <laughs> I mean, Harry Potter's been in the news too <laughs> because of J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, that that's not to say like the fans. It's just sometimes they can be so dedicated to the celebrity, um, whether that's like Dua or Miley or. um, Oh, another article that you did is like a a wild swing emotionally from where we just were, but you did an article about uh, die Jim Crow. Um, And like, how did you find that? And like, tell the listeners like what that is. 
So Die Jim Crow is a record label um, of all um, incarcerated or formerly incarcerated artists. Um, the reason how I got to know it is actually my friend Royal, um, who I met interning at Interview Magazine, his brother, Fury, is running the label. Um, so he told me about it and, and put me in touch. And I was just really fascinated. And, and I thought it was such an amazing project and no one's really doing anything like it. Um, and the music is good. It's not like they were very clear. They're like, this is really great music on top of um, working with some of the best artists. Um, but also like shining a light on how fucked up the prison system is in the US. Um and to be honest, like when I was reporting and I talked to a bunch of different artists and some that are incarcerated, some that are formerly incarcerated, um, one that's been in um the prison system since the nineteen seventies and like couldn't talk about his like what how he got in there and because they're trying to get him out still. Um, I, I mean, it was honestly, I learned a lot doing that story and, um, I got to talk to a lot of incredible p- people and, um, I think what they're doing is so awesome. Like it's such a cool project and, um, I mean, project label and like the projects that they're putting out are really talented artists who are getting, have now have a place to have their voice heard, whether that be through actual singing or um like any kind of other instrumentation um so yeah i mean that was that was pretty pretty yeah, cool that, that was a that was a really good story and that was in the la times yeah so I got, I got to a, a lot of eyeballs too which i think is important for something like that mm, yeah I, I mean i was i was really invested in that story just because i think they're doing incredible work and um, in addition to like obviously putting out music, they've been pretty instrumental in getting PPE sent to um, different um, prisons in the U.S. Um, during the pandemic um, because obviously like COVID, like a lot of the people I spoke to were really scared of getting COVID um, while they were incarcerated because people are just not. There, there was just no protections in place and that was really scary. And, and it, I don't know, it made me really, really concerned about how quickly, um, the, the prisons could break down. So right now, as we speak, it is, we're, we're in the last week of 2020, we're heading into 2021. And so for you, like wh- what kind of, what, what do, or do you hope to do in 2021 on, on a professional level? Like what, what do you want to manifest? Oh, um, I want to manifest, I want to write cover stories. I've, I always wanted to write a cover story for a national publication, a print one. Um, I've written for trades and I've written for like some international publications, but I've always wanted to write for, um, a national print magazine. I mean, my dream, I would love to do a Rolling Stone cover. That would, that's a, always going to be a dream for me. Um, but 
yeah, I want to do more of that. I just want to keep talking to interesting people and I want to just keep getting hired (laughs) to do stuff. (laughs) Like, I mean, I'm just great. Honestly, like sometimes it's easy. It's easy to get down on yourself. Um, about, I feel like success as a writer is so fleeting. Um, and it's easy to get imposter syndrome and it's easy to feel like this assignment is like, I'm like, what if this is my last? Like, I also think I just worry a lot. So that probably doesn't help, but, um, I'm really just grateful to get assignments and for people to give me chances. And, um, you know, I really, I've wanted to write for like the New York times music section for a, a long time. And I would love to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I yeah. knock on wood, knock on this, wood. This all, this, all of this feels like it's within your grasp as a person who already writes for the New York <laughs> times, who's already written like some versions of cover stories. This is like the next step up I hope rather so. than like, <laughs> a huge leap from where you are is. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, how can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, and Instagram at Lonnie Caps, <laughs> L-A-N-I-K-A-P-S. Um, and then just on the interwebs. Al- Alana, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me.